0: It's not too late. If you haven't signed up for the Let's Run.com fall training and racing program, we've got a 9 week program ready for you. you going to run some virtual races. It's going to be great. Go to letsrun.com slash fall for more information. Let's run.com slash fall. Welcome back to the Let's Run.com track talk podcast. Caster Semenya is out. Jacob Coplimo is a new star. Mo Farah is a world record holder for the first time in his career. But William & Mary track men's track and field team has been cut the world's first mass participation road race has been held and jonathan Gold has actually done his job this is let's run.com co-founder robert johnson leading the way and unfortunately folks i'm not going to be joined by peter walsh i know many of you were hoping it was going to be the rojo and peter show from now on yet but yet again i'm going to be joined by my twin brother co-founder weldon johnson as well as the hard work in Jonathan Galt, the guy that we made work on Labor Day. Welcome back, guys.
1: I'm confused, Robert. You say, I finally did my job last week. I'm confused what I've been doing the last six months. I feel like I've been writing articles and doing podcasts. Does that not count as work?
0: Well, as a track and field journalist, you're actually supposed to go to track and field meets. And we had talked about this several weeks ago. There was a high-quality meet right down the road from you, and you didn't even bother to go out. You thought you'd gotten a little lazy. You thought you could just virtually cover these meets. So this week you got off your butt and actually went down to a meet and saw it in person. And we're pleased. This is good.
1: You're going to fly me out. So you're going to fly me out to Europe for the entire summer next year to cover all the diamond leagues. Enough of this covering it in virtual. I need to be there in person. Right, Robert?
0: Well, I think you got a little bit nervous because, you know, with revenues down because of COVID, advertising markets cranking out, I think you are a little bit, I think in the back of your head, you thought, wait a minute, they're going to stop sending me meets entirely. If I don't go to the local, If I'm going to go watch the USB teamers run, you know, locally, they're not going to send me to Tokyo next year, are they? So smart move by you, John.
1: My mom's curious, actually. She wants to know. She's like, oh, they might do the Olympics without spectators. What's the update on media? What is the update on media, Robert? I haven't heard from you guys, the one who handle our applications. I haven't heard anything about it.
2: John, that's an upper management question. That's probably for me. Probably should be checking those emails. They're probably sending us like updates and stuff. But
1: Pro- Wait, you haven't been checking your emails. Come on, man! This is my livelihood.
2: A lot of the Olympic emails sort of get filtered. So,
1: well, change your filter settings. Those are important.
2: Peggy at USOC. My apologies. USOPC. Excuse me. If I, if I missed some emails?
0: Anyways, if you want to reach us and have a comment, want to join the show, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can pick up the phone and call us eight four four let's run that's 844 or you can email the show at pod that's pod at let's run.com we look forward to hearing from you but john we've had two diamond league meets since we last talked but i think well i guess one was You're counting diamond
1: Lausanne league. as a diamond league or you can thinking ostrava as a diamond i was counting
0: ostrava league? because that's been, i think that was the first or second best meet of the year. Since we so we had the Ostrava That's, meet,
1: it wasn't better than Monaco, but okay. you know, yeah, it was a very very good meet.
0: Well, we had Ostrava last night, and then we had the other Diamond League with our runs, I think last Friday. But I wanted to start with Ostrava because it's most recent. Pretty impressive stuff by Jacob Kiplimo, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this race. So he won the five thousand twelve forty eight huge PB him, 25-second PB. He's now up to number 12 on the all-time list. And the interesting thing is, coming in, Kip Limo, I mean, we, we know he's good. He was second at World Cross last year. I mean, he, he's hardly a scrub, but this was billed as a race built around Salmon Borega, the World Championship silver medalist last year. He was going for a very fast time. Kip Limo, one of the things I saw, he was actually listed as a pacemaker. He didn't actually operate that way. But he got dropped, and it looked like okay. Braga's going to run something, you know, around twelve fifty, and that's going to be that. And then suddenly, Kiplimo comes back in the final mile. They're duking it out. He takes the lead, and they have a great final hundred showdown. Both guys under twelve fifty. I just thought it was a, you know a breakthrough race for Kiplimo, and also just a really great five thousand in general.
2: It was a tremendous race. I mean, in mean, this. It's not an era of time-trialing, but I feel like this is the year of sort of time-trialing, fast times in the 5K. To see an actual race come down to the wire, it was refreshing. It was great. And full disclosure, I didn't see the middle of the race. I was dealing with the the baby. So I just saw the end, and the full part I saw, it was Borega and Kiplimo together. And so I had no idea that he'd been dropped. And Kaplimo takes the lead and he's going, and he's got the lead. I mean, it was a tremendous finish. We got a GIF of the finish on the homepage. We put a link to the article as well. And Borrega comes up on him, like, in the last 180 to go. And usually when you get get there, you, you figure, oh, this guy's been leading. He's not known for his kick. He's not nearly as credentialed. He's going to get beat. And no, he held him off. And at the time, I was like, wait, who is this? Like, what's the deal, Kiplimo? You know, I know the name. It's kind of crazy, a guy who was second at World Cross overall last year. It's sort of, I don't know, like we look at track times, we sort of forget how good these guys are. He's, he had to been like the most underrated runner in the world. He won he won World Cross, what, now three years ago in Uganda before the home crowd as a junior. And then two years later, he's second behind his countrymen at World Cross, Joshua Chaptegei in, Be- in um, Denmark. But... He missed Worlds last year because he was injured. So until you've done the fast track times, no one really gives you credit, right? But th-
0: the arrival of Jacob Caplimo is complete. I'll tell you what. What was most impressive to me was how he ran this race. I, mean, I went back and, and, and re- rewound it a- on NBC Gold to see what was going on. But you know, like three and a half laps into this race, he was more than four seconds back. I mean, they went out in like hard, two twenty nine basically for the for the leaders and the, and, the, and the rabbits. And then he just was just like more than four seconds back, and then he just stayed four seconds back. Basically ran his own race. I mean, John, you talked about him being listed as a rabbit. If we want to see the sub-1230, thir- we need to get the two Ugandans together. You make caplimo who is the 12th fastest man in history, rabbit. <laughs> for <laughs> Joshua guy because Caplimo he reminded me of Chepteguy in the sense of he was really good at just running his own pace. And then when he caught up to Borrega, he didn't slow down. He just said, screw this, I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to keep running. He kept running these 61-second laps. Goes to the lead, and then Borrega's just sitting on him, regroups, and you're thinking, okay, Borrega's going to blow him away. And then he pulled up dead even, but no, Caplimo went away. And Caplimo's last lap, 56, pretty good. That's faster than guy I know guy was running faster. Now, the weather was better in Ostrava, but in a couple of years, 2024, maybe we'll be talking about Kaplimo and not Guy as the new
1: goat. Well, maybe let's not get ahead of ourselves quite yet, Robert, but I think what's very interesting, you guys have brought this up, we've now got Jacob and we've got Jakob, and they're 2 they're both 19 years old officially now. I just want to point out that if Jacob Kiplimo is officially 19 years old, that also means officially he ran 27-26 and 13-19 at age of 15 back in 2016. can believe that if you want, but what is undoubtedly these two are big time talents and they're going to be racing each other in the Rome Diamond League on September 17th. And I think that's a great, it's a 3,000 meter matchup, so it's a great meeting in the middle distance for them. And Robert, you were kind of arguing. You were like, you thought 1248 is better than 328, which is Jakob's 1500 PB. So are you giving the advantage to Kiplimo?
0: To who? I think he's going to win the 3000? Yeah. Most definitely, Kaplimo. See how strong he was? I mean, Jakob will probably try to sit on him. because it kind of depends on the rabbiting or not, but...
1: Well, I mean, have you seen how good Jakob's been... 1500 this year,
0: I've seen him. The last couple races haven't really impressed me. I mean, I'm not saying that he hasn't won handily, but he just seems content to sort of look around, look over his shoulders, and do the bare minimum. Man, I don't understand why I I wouldn't try to be running PR every week either. But I don't know, this is Caplimo's first track race, right? Of the year, runs 1248. I would think he would progress. If you look at the all time list, Caplimo is the 12th fastest man in history at 5,000. Um, Ingenbrickson is the eighth fastest man at 1500. So they're pretty similar on the all time list. Um, you know, I think 3000 is a great matchup. This isn't going to be at the Rome Diamond League in eight, eight days, but a shout out to the message board poster who said, you know, as much as we love Jacob Ingenbrickson, he says, Jacob Ingenbrickson is not even the best 19 year old runner named Jacob or Jacob. So there you have it, folks. The battle of the Jacobs and the Jacobs. John, I mean, Caplimo, so you're, you're putting doubt on his age because,
1: I'm just saying. Look, one of these things is true. Either he actually, he, you know, this is what we call
0: white splaining, John
1: white splaining. I'm just saying, to believe that he's 19, you have to believe he ran 27, 26 as a 15 year old, which I I find it more likely that he's a year or two older than he actually is.
0: Just like Edward Cheswick I believe he's a little bit older than than what he said, than he says he is, but um. Yeah. Well, first of all, he does. I mean, we're gonna do the look test. He doesn't look like people. Some people are like, "There's no way." You look at their face; they look weathered. He does have a youthful face. Well, I'm not
1: saying I'm not saying he's thirty. i just Saying it. he yeah. could be 21 or something or 20. I don't know. But th- his age, look, that doesn't really at this point doesn't really matter. I think the more important thing is like this race against Jakob. And I think you shortchanging Jakob. I'm going with Jakob in this showdown if if it's over 3k. And here's why, Robert. You're just saying like he's going through the motions. He, cut, he did look like that in Ostrava. He won that 1500 in 333, and he was basically doing the bare minimum. But his three races before that, 328, second behind Timothy Chariot in Monaco. Again, European record, number eight all time. 330 for s- second behind Chariot in Stockholm. And then just an absolute destruction of everyone in Brussels. He runs 330 in a race where second place was 334. That wasn't going through the motions. Basically soloing a 330. Come on, man. I mean, he's in, he's pretty damn fit right now.
0: John, when it comes to sports and my rooting interest, I know as a journalist I'm not supposed to root, but I always root against myself. So, if I have the option to root for white privilege, I root against it.
1: Okay. I mean, I just I think it's a great matchup between two young runners and I don't really want to make it about race, but the, oh, the one other thing before it, wait, we, to, let, Let's take
0: big picture. I agree with you, John. It's going to be amazing. And something, another thing to get excited for. We don't have to just wait for the world half and London and what else do we have coming up? We've got a lot of stuff between. Check the guy's
1: 10k world record assault.
0: Oh, I forgot about that already. And you know, there was some one of these Diamond League broadcasts. I said this might be Ingebrigtsen's last race as a 19 year old. No, he's we got to give him credit. This guy's racing all the time. So I'm complaining he's going through the motions. But when you race all the time, you can't PR every time out. But can we take a look back at the big picture here? World Athletics. Are you listening to this podcast? The higher up, somebody. At least we know Chepteguy's agent's listening. So but the, the men's 5,000 has been eliminated from the, the Diamond League circuit. Look how good the 5,000. We've got Chepteguy at 1235. We've got Borrega at 1243. We've got Caplimo at 1248. I mean, if you talk Cajelcha in there, 1246. G- G- Gabromesco, Gabarillo, they're still there. I mean, you've got four, five, six of the, of the fastest 12 men in history all in this event. And we're just going to get rid of it.
1: Well, look, I agree with you to a point, Robert, but in playing devil's advocate here, World Athletics would say, well, we actually had a 5,000 at Monaco. Ostrava's not Diamond League, but this was meet was better than many Diamond Leagues, and they had a 5,000. They haven't totally gutted it. Now, I, I... Yeah, it would be nice to have it as an actual Diamond League event, and especially in the Diamond League final. I think that's really where you're going to miss it. But they haven't totally taken it out,
0: right? But it just this stuff. Some of this stuff just doesn't make any sense. Are they worried about the time? Like the the purists like the five thousand. It's more of a true test of 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 endurance than the three thousand. If you're worried about saving the extra, what is it? Five minutes start the 5,000 before the TV window right when the TV window comes on you're a mile into the into, into the into the 5000 and you can talk about it on TV hey we have a race right here like it just it makes no sense it's just like Steve employee 1.1 1. 1, was going off about the shoe reels you can wear one sort of shoes on the track on the road instead of marathon world record but you can't wear those same shoes on the track that makes no sense zero sense like we, we just we, like don't Assume that we're idiots. Like, be a little bit smart. Don't say, "Oh, we need to save four minutes." Come on, your schedule isn't that tight. It'll be interesting because
2: we're having the three K in Rome, right? And we're going to be excited about that matchup because it's going to be Jakob versus Jacob. But I agree, they shouldn't try to force the three K down our throats because most fans, distance running fans, don't like it. Can we have a few five Ks? We don't need six three Ks either. It'll be interesting to see what the schedule is. We need a few good matchups at every meet. We don't need the same repetitive thing at every meet, especially in the distances.
0: It would actually be better if they ran 1 3000, 1 5000, you know, run a couple of 5000s, a couple 3000s and then but have you, at the Diamond League final, come on. You need the 5000.
1: Agree, agree. One more thing on this 5000 before we move on because there are a lot of other good events in Ostrava. We had two very long standing national records went down. Third place, Yaman Bahan Kripa of Italy. He runs 1302.26. That took down a 30-year-old Italian record held by Salvatore Antibo. And then the final finisher, last place, Elzan Bibic of Serbia runs 1326.56. He takes down a 49-year-old Serbian record by Daniel Karaka back from 1971. So two very old national records going down this year.
2: And a shout out, John, I don't know if you guys know, we have a Ugandan journalist who loves the show. I'm not sure I should mention his name because Uganda doesn't have the freest press. Like like this guy has to get on Let's Run for a VPN because there's a social media tax in Uganda. I'm not sure if we follow upon that, but if you're... Want to be on social media? People just use VPNs there to get around it. But John, we could find out from him how old he
0: thinks Jacob Caplibo is. Yeah, that would be great, Weldon. If you did that, that'd be very interesting, actually. So please, John, hold him to task. Write this down as a to-do list. Otherwise, Weldon and I will forget about it with our scatterbrains, as someone once said about me. But I want to talk about this Italian national record um, that Salvatore Antibo ha- held for. What would you say, John, 30 years, 1990? I mean, he was the 1988 Olympic silver medalist, was, was very good. Some thought he might be the first non-African under 27 minutes. Um, but I, I was doing some research on him, and I came across a couple of fascinating threads, one of them from 2009 and one of them from 2010, that were Ronaldo Canova, who is Italian and worked with Antibo, he wasn't like the, the direct coach of Antibo, but he, back then, uh, Canova was like a decathlete coach. And then he did some middle distance coaching, but it, it's fascinating. First of all, Antiba was called the white Kenyan by some people on the circuit because this guy, I mean, John Kelly was talking about this with me yesterday. He would just do crazy surges in the middle of these races, but um, th- these threads are fascinating. Like back then, 10, 11 years ago, Kunova was talking about the, how the blood doping went on in Italy. It wasn't illegal, but it's fascinating because Canova argues now that like EPO really doesn't work on the elite athletes. And back then he was talking about how he didn't think that blood doping was this thing that greatly helped people. A lot of the Italians had, didn't do it anymore. I think Antibo tried it and didn't like it and stopped doing it. Um, and was basically explaining why this stuff didn't work. And then he also talked about how like the federation wanted uh, his decathletes to do some sort of I forgot what term he used like supplementation he knew, he knew what that meant and Canova's like I was not going to do that with them so it's really interesting Renato Canova was talking the way he talks about EPO now he was talking about blood doping back then so we'll we'll definitely um you know link to that it was a blast from the past on, on the message boards these these two these two posts um, that I found about blood doping in Italy and how Canova refused to dope his decathletes back when he was coaching in Italy. Speaking of message board posts, are you a member
2: of the letruncom Supporters Club? If you are, you could follow all of and find all of Renato Canova's post. It's a feature only available to subscribers. We thank everyone who signed up and became founding club members. We will get the t-shirts out to you by the end of the month. But if you still want to subscribe, go to letstron.com/slash subscribe. Support LRC, get huge discounts and running shoes, 20% off all running shoes at Pacers running right now and use the link in the show notes in your first month. You can subscribe for a dollar. Oh wait. Also any running clubs out there. We've had interest from running clubs, signing up running clubs, track clubs, college teams. You can email me at wejo at let's run.com information. How to subscribe as a club.
1: All right. Well, there are a lot of other events to talk about in Ostrava. Strava. Now I, I got to give a Strava credit. They put together a, uh, a heck of a, a meet, a lot of great fields. I've been clamoring for this world record meet where all the guys close to the world records come together and try for it. I mean, they got Carson Warholm and Ryan Krause both going for world records in the same meet. Unfortunately, they both came up shy. But Warholm, it was interesting that 400 hurdles. I mean, he wins it. He only runs 47.62, which is actually his slowest time in a final, believe it or not, since the open his opening race of the 2019 season and he still ran 47.62. I mean, a couple of years ago in the 400 hurdles, 47 we'd kill for a sub-48. It only happened once in all of 2017. Um, now it's just commonplace, but he just didn't... There was a false start, and that might have thrown him off. He didn't look quite as great early in the race, and they chopped his steps between before hurdle nine. 47.62, he looked, he looked kind of uh, disgusted with the time. When he saw the clock, he was like, he had this puzzled expression on his face. He couldn't believe he'd run that slowly.
0: I think you're misinterpreting. I think he thought he was crushing it. I think he thought he had a super fast time. He did stutter before that one hurdle, but I think he was just shocked that the time wasn't faster. I don't think he knew that he ran slowly. I think he was thinking, I'm going for it, I'm going for it, I'm going for it. But sometimes when you try to force a time, it's not there. I mean, the, the thing about the 400 hurdles is, though, it's not like – you kind of have to stay in a rhythm, so – I don't know. I think in another race, if you think, oh, I'm going to try to break the world record, you're going to, it's going to screw you up. And the 400 hurdles, it's kind of hard to try to break the world record because you mess up your form. So I think he thought, he just was surprised it wasn't faster because he was so far ahead.
1: Yeah, I think disgust was the wrong word. I think shock is more appropriate. Yeah, I agree with Robert. I thought his
2: reaction was like, the clock's wrong, right? Like, I had to run faster than 47.62. Like, that's a shit time. You know, I'm trying to run 46.78. And that stat's amazing. No one else in the world has run under 49.04 this year. I mean, this race is less than 50 seconds. And one guy has run, what, 2.17 seconds faster than anybody else?
1: Well, yeah, because the two other best guys in the event haven't been running it this year.
2: Regardless, I don't give a shit what's going on in the world right now. Like The fact that a race this short, that you're two seconds better than everybody else, is, is
1: Pretty amazing all right guys a few more races from Ostrava I'll uh, we'll try to hit these quickly men's 800 Jake Whiteman gets the win 14418 big PB for him interesting thing about that he got beat at the British championships uh, over the weekend and then comes back three days later and runs a PB it's the, actually the fastest time for a Brit since Andrew Asagi in the 2012 Olympic final. And the other thing about this race, there were 15 guys in the field. Everyone except one person had to share a lane at the start. I mean, it just looked comical. There were actually, I mean, four guys broke 145 and three of the top four PR'd. So it ended up working out okay. But there's really no reason to have 15 guys in an 800 field ever.
0: I don't know why that bothers you so much, John. When they start in lanes and share lanes, you have 100 meters to get going. What bothers me is when you put like 20 people on a mile start and they have to go to the first turn and fight. As long as you start in lanes, you can almost put 30 people.
1: No, you can't because you have, you're have you forcing people to share lanes. So one guy immediately gets an advantage over the other when it comes to braking. And then if it's not, I mean, I guess the one thing you have about a 15-person race is the guys up front are going to get after it. They went through in about 49-2 because you don't want it to bunch out. But what I like about it, I like sometimes when the 800 gets close and tactical, but when there's 15 guys, it's just, it's kind of a mess.
0: Well, what I noticed about the British champs was... Mark Scott race somehow one Bowerman track club member has allowed to get out of Jerry's cave, go over to Europe and race. So I guess it wasn't too late in the season for him to be racing. John, just, just, just Shelby and Carissa wanted to run a bunch of time trials in the U S and not, not race the world's best. Oh,
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, I guess every runner should just be treated the, the same, right? Like if some guy wants to continue, he, he's got a British, he's got a national championships to run Robert and he wanted to run it. Shelby Houlihan has said, I think she was pretty tired from running a bunch of these races. She might not have wanted to extend her season. Again, I'm not going to fault them. But the one other thing about this 800 I thought was interesting. Hat tip to John Mulkeen on this stat. Andreas Kramer of Sweden finally breaks 145. National record, smashed through, ran 144.47 for second. And normally we wouldn't be hyping up Oh, sub 145 except if you look at Andreas Kramer's he has come so close to breaking 40, 145 without doing it before Ostrava he had run these the following times 145.03, 145.03 145.04, 145.05 145.10 145.13 yet he had never broken 145 he finally does it so congratulations to him speaking
0: of people who like to race a lot Laura Muir wasn't at the British Championships, but she did race three times in five days, John. Again, this is the, I'm not allowed to be a member of the Brownman Track Club because I raced too much in segment. She ran and won 800 in France on Thursday in two flat. Saturday, I think in Hungary or somewhere, 358, 1500 meter win. And then yesterday in Ostrava, 158, 800
1: win. Yeah, she's in great form. Uh, and... You know, maybe the reason she skipped the British champs is because you can get three paydays from running these, you know, meets on the circuit and you're not getting as much for running the UK champs. So that's a whole different discussion with the TV contract and, you know, the state of UK athletics. That's probably a whole separate podcast.
2: Just now looking at some of these British results, like the men's 400 won in six six. That's like not even the Texas high school state meet, John.
1: Wow, so you're telling me that the United States produces better 400-meter runners than Great Britain. This is not really shocking to me. I mean, can you name me a a British 400-runner outside of Martin Rooney? Yeah, Roger Black, he was very good. A a current one, Robert. Well, then, not a guy from 20 years ago.
2: I'm just saying, they used to have a proud history, a proud history, John.
1: Yeah, Matt Matt Hudson-Smith's pretty good. I'm guessing he probably wasn't running the British champs.
2: John, I see a guy from Brighton won the men's 1500 over Gourley.
1: Yeah, that surprised me. I, I didn't even know, actually. What was the guy's name? I, I didn't even. I hadn't heard of him before, but Neil Gourley is no joke. He beat Carr and Whiteman and Grice and all the other studs last year.
2: Yeah, George Mills of Brighton.
1: One to keep an eye on. couple other loose ends from Ostrava. Men's 1500, we mentioned earlier, Jacob won pretty, you know. Going through the motions victory. Faith Kipugon looked incredible once again. I mean, I think people... I I don't know about you. I think I kind of forgot just how amazing Kipugon was. Like, you know, she was the Olympic champion 2016, world champion 2017, 2018, she missed to have a kid. 2019, she comes back, hadn't raced for almost two years and won the pre-classic, then gets hurt, doesn't race again until the end of the summer, And runs 3.54, her fastest time ever to take second at Worlds. And this year, she's just been crushing people. You know, she almost broke the 1,000-meter world record in Monaco. And then this race in Estrava, she runs 3.59.05, closes in 59 flat, 28.9 for her last 200. She just looked like an absolute, you know, monster. And uh, I'm excited to see. I mean, I don't even know if we're going to get Hassan versus Kipigon at the Olympics next year in the 1500, but if we do, I think it's going to be a lot closer than it was in Doha last year.
0: Yeah, didn't you say the 15-5 double is kind of hard to do? So if we did get it, I would pick Kipi Gun. I know she lost last year, but to me, well, I'll put an asterisk next to that prediction, unless Alberto Salazar wins his appeal. It doesn't seem to me that Kipi Gun. I mean, excuse me, that Hassan or um Kajelcha are running as well without Salazar as they were with Salazar. I mean Kajelcha was in this race yesterday too, right? Running the 1500. Um I mean maybe he's just I mean I don't know. This didn't he wasn't he like the world record holder indoors in the mile or something? He's finishing 8th and running 335, 96. Like that's not very good for him. So uh, I don't know. Like, to me, it seems like I know Hassan said an hour's best that we haven't talked about, but that was not a very good time based on her half marathon PR. She did win the 5,000 yesterday. I mean, she's, she's in pretty good form, but do I think she's in 350 shape? Well, no. Could I even with Salazar expect her to be in that shape again? Probably not, but I would take, give Kipiego on the edge in the 1500.
2: Do we need an official Alberto Salazar segment? I mean, we haven't had one in months.
1: When they turn like the wind might be in their face it's salazar salazar salazar
2: COVID has ruined a lot of stuff in america and i think that's probably one of the biggest things we've somehow abandoned our alberto salazar segment alberto we're thinking of you you're welcome on the podcast anytime we'll put you behind the subscriber only content wherever you want to be you want to be open to the masses we'll put you there maybe we should have alberto and peter walsh as our guest host but let's not get ahead too much about writing off kajelcha and and Hassan, Hassan sets a world record, which we're going to get to. We I think that's where we should turn to next is the world records at one hour in Brussels. But she dropped out of the first 5K she ran, ran with the leaders. Now she set a world record in the mile and she's run.
1: Well, the world record in the mile was last year.
2: Excuse me. I mean, world record in the one hour run. Okay. Here's her times here. She runs 1437. Yeah, it's a slow race, whatever, but she st- still kills everybody. For as for Kajelcha, this run was not good for him at all. But his only other race he ran Monaco. He ran 332, 669. There's been a lot of unrest in Ethiopia. If he's been back in Ethiopia, it's probably been hard to train. There's nothing been going on. So whew, do we really care that much what level they're running at? I mean, a lot of people we haven't really seen at all this year. So at this point, should we be penalizing people who are running like, you know, eighty-five percent assume that's solely to coaching.
0: We shouldn't. We don't know what's going on. And perhaps you don't want to go in this situation where you don't compete a long time. I and mean, one of the things Pekele, he stopped doing World Cross, had these big blocks and of months off and got not good. So maybe they knew their training wasn't well, decided we're going to make them race. This will keep them in shape, get them back in Europe. It's better than not racing. So that, that's a good point.
1: No, I, I don't think we should be penalizing them. I mean, again, yeah, the political situation has been tough in Ethiopia. I think Hassan is just rounding into form. But if you look into this let's really examine this world record she broke in brussels okay so she she ran eighteen thousand nine hundred and thirty meters in one hour. What does that actually mean well that's sixty six fifty two half marathon pace, but she only ran eleven point seven six miles it's it was a very soft record and uh yeah it was it was not, like it was a nice run by Hassan but she basically just sat on Bridget Kosky and then kicked by. Like, I don't think it showed her potential, and I also don't think it was... I'm not particularly impressed by it, even though it's a world record, because I know she's run faster for a longer distance on the roads.
2: Yeah, it was good entertainment, right? Should we be worried about Bridget Kosky, or does this prove that Bridget Kosky can only run fast when she can wear so-called, people hate it, cheater shoes? I don't think we should draw too many conclusions. I mean, maybe people give the marathoner more... Benefit of the doubt?
1: No, here's the conclusion I draw. They were both essentially following the, the wave light for a decent amount. They got ahead of it eventually. But I don't think they were going in there saying, we're going to try to run the most distance possible. They went in and tried to run the record. And then once they were ahead of it, then they kind of picked it up the last the, towards the end. But... I'm not worried about Koskai. I mean, she got outkicked by Hassan, who's a 351-1500 runner, but she, you know, she had some fight in her even when Hassan took the lead and she didn't look that bad. The one thing about Koskai I think we should bring up here is the DQ. She was DQ'd for stepping on the rail, essentially. There's a thick rail on the in Brussels and, you know, she stepped inside the minimum distance. She made one misstep for a race that's an hour long and was disqualified because that is the rule. Does this rule need to be changed? How would you guys fix it?
2: Yes, the rule needs to be changed. If someone inadvertently steps on the rail and it's immaterial to the race, they should not be DQ. Just because you ran technically like possibly like a few f- inches shorter, nobody cares. So I don't know how you, what the rule, how it should be defined. If there should be judgment, I think you could write the rule somehow that lets athletes F up stumble step on the inside for one
0: step and not be disqualified this reminds me of the st- of chief steeplechase fiascos a few years ago when colin clearly got kicked out and then didn't kim Boy, i mean we had a french guy celebrating in the middle of the race because he's going to get some guy dq for stepping on a line
1: I, I, can't, I still can't believe that happened yeah Th-
0: this reminds me of the steeplechase dqs we had a couple years ago when colin cooley got tossed and Kim Boy, remember when Kimboy got tossed and the French guy was celebrating in the middle of the race because he knew that even though he didn't medal, he would medal because he's going to get him DQ'd? I mean, it's insane. If you step on a white line in the middle of a two-mile race, it, No. Now, if you want to have the rule of, say, you can't do this in a world record, I'm fine with it because they actually measure the track, assuming you're going to be a little bit out from the, from that rail. So if you measure the track right on the rail, it's less than 400 meters. But come on. I mean, it's like no harm, no foul. Like, this isn't that hard. Mo Farah wasn't DQ'd when he did it in the last lap of a race.
1: That's actually my question. Though. That is the one, like, I think for a lot of these, when it happens in the middle of the race and they're just stepping on the line, you think, oh, no big deal. Mo Farah did this while he was leading on the final lap of the world championship, 10,000 fi- final. I don't really think he gained much of an advantage, but he, he definitely did. Like, do we, do you say we don't DQ him for that either? Or do you make an exception because he was in the lead? It was the end of the race. Is that a different situation for you?
0: I sure I would have to go back and watch the tape again to be certain, but my my memory is. Well, first of all, I think that's a bit much bigger advantage in that race. The last lap is much more significant. So if anyone gets DQ'd, it would be him over her. Right. But I think that's what I'm saying. I, I think you justify it by saying I believe the justification for that would be was that he was hit from behind, so it caused him to go over the end.
1: That's what it looked like, but I really don't think that happened. It kind of it kind of looks like he got clipped, but I think he just lost his balance. And someone, I think that is the justification that has been used in that race, is that it kind of looked like he got clipped so you can't overturn it, but I don't think he was touched.
0: Then that's a DQ.
1: Even under your new amended rules.
0: That would be hard not to DQ, someone running on the infield in the final lap of a race.
1: I tend to agree. But I think this is the issue. When when you bring judgment into it, you need to... Right now, it's a very clear-cut rule. The rule was not enforced correctly in 2017, but the rule is clear. If you step in on the curve, you are DQ'd. When you add in judgment, you've got to be very specific about how that judgment's being employed because then you're going to get a mess.
2: Clearly, doesn't the rule allow you to get bumped and not be DQ'd? If you're bumped and step on the inside, I think they say no DQ because that's the only rationale fairer could be. Not DQ'd. Now there's debate whether he was actually bumped, but what would some ID double excuse me World Athletics stickler say if someone was actually bumped into the infield? Is it the rule? The rule if you're bumped discretion?
1: in that that the rule says that you don't get DQ'd.
2: Okay. Well, I think if you can't conclusively prove Faro was bumped or not, I mean, who knows what's going on there? It's just a mess. But I think. We want an eyeball test. If someone inadvertently steps one step and they think, oh my God, that's the end of an hour run for no reason when they got no advantage? No. Yeah. So I don't know how you write that in the rules. People smarter than me can figure that out.
1: I just want to revisit, Robert, you mentioned a few minutes ago about the Salazar appeal. We were worried, you know, we, we said, okay, we're set with October because we got a lot of great races, but there's no NCAA cross. There's New York, New York City Marathon in November. What are we going to do in November? Guess what month the Alberto Salazar CAS appeal is set for? November. Boom. We got another month's worth of podcasts to take us through Thanksgiving.
0: Well, John, I think we can start your European trip now. We can send you over to the World Half. World Athletics was going to pay me to go over there, so maybe they'll pay for you to fly over. We can then have you go over to Switzerland, see the court case.
1: Oh, my God. Are all those people going to have to testify again? Like, are they going to have to fly out Galen Rupp and Ritz and all these people that give their testimony? I mean, it's just, it's a whole new thing, right? They're restarting from the beginning, right?
0: R- Ritz would probably be happy to go over there. He can go to the On Athletics headquarters in Switzerland, see the bosses, get the IAAF to pay for it. One more thing on this
2: Alberto new coaching arrangement. Hassan Anka new coach is Tim Robery. No offense to Tim, but I used to view him as the water boy at the Nike Oregon Project. I and mean, when he started off, he was just seriously like timing people. And it, it's impressive how he sort of established a role and built himself up where he could be, these two world class athletes trusted him to coach. But I remember at first, like this guy was out there timing and people were accusing Salazar of this stuff. And Roberta was posting on the Let's Run forum saying, like, everything I see is above board. And now these two stars of the sport are trusting him to be coaching. But Do you guys think actually that this is better for Tim with COVID happening this year? There's less pressure. He sort of can kind of get established, see what's worked. Otherwise they'd have been just thrown into the fire. We'd have had the Olympics by now and there would have been, you know, no plan B. Now we can sort of figure out what's working. They can get used to him. I don't know. Do you guys think somehow this could could help them long-term
1: to a degree, maybe, but he's still going to face that pressure next year. Like, it would have been crazy, though, if he takes over their coaching duties in an Olympic year and it's basically trial by fire. But
0: What do you mean trial by fire? He knows what workouts they did last year. First of all, I want to apologize to Tim. Weldon him the water boy. This reminds me of when Dan Ireland, who was Gag's assistant at Georgetown, got hired to coach at Yale. Weldon thought he was like the water boy. How can they hire this young guy? Well, when you become – an everyone has to be an assistant at some point, become the head coach. So that's just the way it works. And normally the assistants start off by making the recruiting calls and timing people. So whatever. Yeah, maybe there's less pressure. I want to move on to another – we're talking about Salazar's appeal. I want to talk about the big court case that did come down yesterday – from switzerland now this wasn't a cast decision it was a sweet i think it was a switzerland supreme court decision they have denied Kaiser saminia's appeal and she will not be competing in the 2021 olympics as a woman in the 800 meters unless she agrees to reduce her testosterone so what do we think of this this is big news Perhaps the most read article in Let's Run history was the article that I wrote about six months ago, saying that Kester's. All I did was say that point out was Castor Semenya is intersex. None of no one else is pointing that out. So, you know, and and I, I, I don't know. Should I write another article to make sure that this is covered appropriately? I haven't seen a lot of publicity on this case for some reason this time around. But what do you guys think of this decision?
1: I mean, I was in favor of. I, I've applauded World Athletics for their efforts on the Semenya case. I think they were right to impose the guidelines. I think CAS was right to uphold them, and I think the Swiss Federal Tribunal is still right to uphold them. So, my opinion on this matter hasn't changed. Like, I, I and I and I don't think anyone involved in the case. I think that pretty. It's pretty clear there are two sides to this issue. There is the people who think. Semenya should not be forced to change her body. She should be. She is a woman. She shouldn't be allowed to. She shouldn't be forced to change her body in any way in order to compete in the women's category. And then there are the others who are saying, well, when it comes to gender, sorry, sex doesn't break along clean lines. You know, and when it comes to athletics, you need to have these clean lines. And testosterone is obviously a huge part of. They've chosen to make that a huge part of that she has a lot more testosterone than what you would see in a typical female athlete i, I just don't think that everyone's the, we have the we're just rehashing the same argument that people have been having for a couple of years and i don't think this cha- this just sort of yes but hey
0: you know what does sports talk radio and espn do nonstop they rehash the same arguments over and over i'll be clear on this First of all, her attorney said this decision is a call to action. As a society, we cannot allow a sports federation to override the most fundamental of human rights. That statement to me is absurd. There is not a human right to compete in a specialized category of the Olympics. I cannot go and try to compete in the Paralympics. Just because I want to be in the Paralympics. I could not compete in the Women's Olympics because I want to be in the Olympics, Women's Olympics. Kaiser Semenya may identify as a woman, but let's be honest. She's XY chromosomes. She has elevated testosterone. She is what the definition of what anyone would define as, as intersex. So I, I, I just think that that statement, you know, is kind of absurd. So she, she her, the most fundamental of human rights, she still has the right to compete. If she wants to try to make the Olympics in the 800, she can either reduce her testosterone and one the women's category, or she can try out in the open category, otherwise known as the men's category. So I, I, I wanted to take a look real quick. It's interesting though, because I've, you know, I remember being at the Olympic trials, I guess, four years ago, it could have been eight, I think it was four years ago, and Jerry Longman of the the New York Times was there, and I'd never met anyone who who was involved in track who actually was on Semenya's side, and I I respect Jerry a a great deal. It was interesting to hear him. He was very much on Semenya's side. I couldn't believe it, so I've tried to learn their arguments, and he's actually the one that has written the New York Times piece on this case, and uh, I don't know. This article is better than the way he's addressed it in the past, He's a little bit more honest, but the reason why I wrote my article six months ago, and we'll link to this in the show notes, is nobody was saying that she's intersex. Like, which is obvious. But everyone was getting around, they always talk about her naturally elevated testosterone. Like, it's like Usain Bolt's a little bit taller than the average spinner. No. Like, she has XY chromosomes, and she's a woman. You know, she has internal testicles, but no penis. So, here's the opening line to his, his, his piece in the New York Times. Castro Semenya of South Africa, the two-time Olympic track champion with a rare genetic condition that significantly elevated her testosterone levels, on Tuesday lost what appeared to be her final attempt to compete at 800 meters, her signature event at the Tokyo Olympics next summer. Catra Semenya's natural testosterone levels are far above the standard female range. I don't like that paragraph because nowhere does he say he says final pin to compete at 800 meters. No. It's her final attempt to compete in the women's 800 meters. Nowhere does he say that she's intersex. In the next paragraph, for the first time, he does at least imply that she's intersex somewhat. He says, the organization to passed regulations in 2018 stating that intersex athletes who have a disorder of sexual development and both have X and Y chromosomes, the standard male pattern. So at least he's sort of, if you read between the line, you can see that she's intersex. But why not just state that in the first paragraph? I mean, this is the most important thing for somebody that doesn't follow this case closely. And everyone beats around the bush. So I give him credit this time for bringing it up in paragraph two, because last time when this was covered in the mainstream press, it wasn't mentioned at all. But I, I just think that, I don't know, like, we're not discriminating against women by not letting intersex athletes compete in their category. Agreed. And then it needs to be mentioned.
2: I love Jerry's work, but let's not hide the facts. She is intersex. The world is more complicated than we thought. There's two sexes for sport, but for society, most people fall into two sexes, but there's this third intersex category. the question is, where do they get to compete? And Castro Semenya is free to compete in the male category without suppressing her testosterone. We've Given her a lifeline, if she wants to compete in the female category, she can suppress her testosterone. She won't be any good doing that, so it's maybe not a fair bargain, but I don't have a problem with it. I think this ultimately is good for women's sports. It's interesting to see commentary on Twitter. People are saying it's racist, you know, and then they kind of link to these doped up East German women. But that's a different thing. And, and there's, you know, now speculation that European women way back in the day her winning Olympics might have been intersex as well. It's unfortunate for Castor, and, and she means a lot to a lot of women and men throughout the world and people in South Africa. But it, this is the right decision. And I think the vast, vast, vast majority of people, once they understand what's going on that she's intersex, they're like, okay, we're fine with this. Let, let's, let's carry on.
0: The idea that this is racist is so absurd. If something impacts a person of color, now the the automatic default is it's racist. And I've gone over this before. And again, this isn't mentioned in the articles. Let's go back to the 1960s when people were much more racist than they are now. Does the name Eric Scheninger mean anything to people? This was a white guy from Austria who was raised as a woman, thought he was a woman, and was the best skier in the world. He shows up at the she shows up at the Olympics. They say, they do some tests. They're like, whoa, like you're uh, intersex or whatever. This person ends up saying, wow, okay, well, I won't compete. Ends up having sex reassignment surgery and has now fathered children. So this person, I mean, this was 50 plus years ago with a white woman slash man. Can you imagine the trauma that was? It was traumatic for him too, or her, but now she's a man. I mean, it's just complicated. Anyways. I wanted to talk about Semenya in the cases. Does this decision make y'all think anything about Alberto Salazar appeal? I know this wasn't with Cass, but I really keep thinking about Salazar. I was wondering what if he got off? I thought it would kind of be amazing just from a journalism standpoint if Salazar did win his appeal, then what, how people would talk about the sport. But I think I said a few months ago on this show, I think Salazar's appeal will not be successful. They got him on technicality, but hey, that's what a lot of rules are, and to me, if anything, this case—you know—the Supreme Court did not overturn the rules, so I think that's a rule. This is a somewhat of a win for technicality. I again will reiterate: I do not think Salazar will win his appeal.
1: Yeah, I look. I, I read the whole Salazar thing, and yes, they were sort of technicalities, but it's pretty also. It's also pretty clear from the evidence that he broke those rules, and you can agree with the rules or not. He broke them, and I think CAS is going to read the same thing. They're going to say, "Yeah, he did X, Y, and Z." And were these things that he goes, got busted for my, minor infringements stepping over the rules? I mean, some could argue that, but he did them, and I don't think CAS is going to ignore that.
2: Yeah, there's different legal issues here at play. I think Caster had already lost her cast appeal, so this was an even higher standard the Swiss Supreme Court does not like to overturn Cass, so I think they essentially were sort of evaluating, is this such an egregious violation of Swiss law that we have to overturn this Cass decision? And they decided it wasn't. Alberto's case before Cass, they hear all the evidence from scratch again, so it's not like there's some higher standard for him to win his case. He just needs to convince the Cass arbitrators that he wins. But like John, I think the evidence is against him, but I think his chances are stronger than Cast your head of winning at this level.
1: Okay, let's move on, guys. One thing we can talk about this if you want. I went to a trap meet Monday. Do you have any questions of what it's like to go to a trap meet in the age of COVID? It was the Labor Day showdown in Boston, I should uh or in Newton, actually. I should give context. Molly Huddle was there, she won the five K. Sam Ellison won the fifth the eight hundred. Eric Jenkins actually looked pretty good kicking to the win in the three K. Those are sort of the notable results.
2: Can I interrupt? Like, do we just now hate Mo Farah on the show? Like, I had a DM on Instagram with Farah, so I feel like we're buddies. I was hoping to get him on the podcast at some point. The guy breaks a world record on the track. We're now, like, probably an hour into this podcast. We haven't even mentioned him. We want to talk about Eric Jenkins at some BU Labor Day meet with four people at it.
0: Yeah, first of all, John, we'll just talk about real quickly your meet. So you went to meet with hardly any spectators. Was that just like going to a normal track meet? Like it's not that well, big of...
1: That's the thing I was going to say is I asked some of the athletes. I'm like, hey, did this feel any different to you? And they're like, it wasn't that different, to be honest. And I I, I kind of felt the same way. Like, yeah, I wore a mask the whole time. I had have my temperature scanned when I went in, but there were fewer spectators. But I've been to meets at high school tracks, like pretty low-key meets, that are actually officially professional trap meets. So yeah, it was a little quieter. And the spectators, because there was a limit on 50 people in the stadium, the loudest people in the stands were actually like outside this fence beyond the 100 beta finish. Like Elena Ballour, Elena Tab, who was one of the people who put this on. She's an elite runner with the BAA. She and her husband, Brian, organized the meet. She had family in town. They couldn't even come in the stadium. They had to cheer her from beyond these fences. But no, the the whole thing, like there weren't as many people by the finish line, but these athletes have competed at low-key meets before. I don't think it was all that different from something like the Adrian Martinez classic uh, or a smaller meet like that.
2: So were 50 people, including athletes, only allowed in, or you had 50 fans plus athletes? I mean, because a lot of times you have more than 50 people competing.
1: No, it was, it was 50 people, including the athletes. So the athletes, once they finished the race, they had to exit the stadium. It, I mean, it wasn't; it was a sort of fenced in. It wasn't like a massive stadium, but they had to exit that and go to sort of the baseball fields that were adjacent outside the perimeter. Um, so they did a pretty good job about shuttling the athletes in and out. Well, we're glad you
0: went to meet, John. Maybe we'll send you to the Olympics if they have them. Back to Mo Farah, though. Weldon made a good point. This is the first world record on the track for Mo Farah. And the big knock on him, if you want to consider him for greatest of all time status, which I don't think at this point anyone really is considering Mo Farah for greatest of all time status, is he had never held any world records on the track. Yes, he holds a world best at the indoor two-mile. But this is his first world record, John. In this opinion, so since you're British, or at least half British, and you're a big Farah fan, does this elevate him now to the GOAT?
1: What do you mean, I'm a big Farah fan?
0: You, you, you've argued in the past that he could potentially be considered the GOAT if he did a few more things in his career. I said, don't be ludicrous, John. He's a great champion. I mean,
1: he's won 10 global golds. So I. You know, i said if he becomes like the Olympic marathon champ, if he dethrones Kipchoge in the marathon, I think we'd have to seriously consider him. I doesn't make me a fan of his. I'm just pointing out his achievements are pretty great. Anyway, does this this doesn't move the needle for me. No. I thought it was I, I was pretty impressed with Farah actually because this record was not as soft as the women's one. He had to run uh 59:28 half marathon pace and it was slightly more than a half marathon um which he did. So he, you know, he ran faster than 59, 28 pace and for longer than a marathon. And he did it on the track and he couldn't wear the, the vapor flies or anything. So, you know, Haile Gebra Selassie held the previous record. This wasn't like totally soft, but it's also not something that, you know, Geb wasn't going out and like peaking for this race. I'm, Farah probably wasn't either, but I guess this was kind of Farah's big performance of the year. So maybe he was.
0: I actually found these races... To be entertaining. I, I was kind of thinking that the hour run would be lame, and they were going to show just Farrah for an hour, and they weren't going to show the women's race. The way they broadcast these meets, kudos to the to people who came with it. They did a great job. They started the women's race before the, the international broadcast, so we got to see the end of the women's hour race finish great, and then we got to see the whole men's race, but they were showing field events in between, so it was fine, but it was kind of neat, John. I thought both ended up being real races, and... To not have a finish line. You're looking at the clock. It's like, oh, when do you kick? Uh, to me, it was fascinating to see, like, when's it going to end? I, I I do think it would have been interesting, like, what if it was super, super close? Like, how do you decide the winner? Because there's not going to be a, mm. a finish line picture. But didn't quite get that. So, no, I, I think it's good that he did that. This weekend fair is going to be racing on the roads, trying to break the actual British half marathon world record. Or ha- British... National record for the half marathon. But apparently he doesn't have any rabbits, and he's gone to Twitter or somewhere and asked for people to help come pace him the race. John, do you know any details of this?
1: Wait, he's tweeting out, like, need a pacer for... Well, I, I don't
0: know if he's tweeting out, but I saw the fair had asked for rabbits. Like, I don't know, does he think some random guy in the street can really just come out and help him, like, pace? And isn't that kind of the race organizer's job? But yes, there's an article saying...
1: It is kind of weird. He's running this... Half marathon in Northern Ireland, uh, which I was like, uh, kind of curious why he's running there, and I kind of assumed if he was running there, they'd have some record attempt set up, or this whole thing would be built around him. And now it seems like they don't have a pace make. so it's it's kind of
0: odd. Again, let's take a step back, big picture. I think this was a good result for Ferret. It shows he's getting up there in age, but he's still in good shape. I mean, you're in fifty nine shape, flat shape, basically, you're good. But to me. If you look at the week as a whole, I think it was a negative for Mo Farah's gold chances and medal chances in 2020. Why? Because Kaplimo, this run is significant to me. He reminded me of Cheptega. He's, just, he's really good at running his own race and pushing the pace. And I look forward to next year, to the Olympics, and I imagine I just see guy and Kaplimo. I know they're both from Uganda. They don't train together, but I can see them just working together and just grinding that pace down, man, and just running. Farah's going to try to hang on to some ridiculous 10,000 pace and not be able to do it. I still think I, I, I for some reason, I kind of think his best chance might be in the 5,000, which I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense, but who knows. So oh, If Farrah comes back to the Olympics next
2: year and beats both these guys, the GOAT discussion might be back on, at least for the track. Maybe we then have different categories of GOAT, but that would be sick. As for Northern Ireland, Gary Lowe is coach. Is not he Northern Irish, John? Maybe there's some connection there. And you guys are missing one thing uh, about this race for people who didn't see it. I turned it on halfway. First of all, were there rabbits early on or were they just racing the wave light?
1: They had a pacer for the first half.
2: Okay. Later on, I see it and they're running around and then I see this like Mario icon behind them, chasing them. (gasps) Oh, right. In lane three. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I thought it was really cool. And then I could tell that was the world record pace was the Mario icon. And then it turns out it wasn't Mario. It was Haile Geberslasi because he is the current world record holder chasing them. And they were, like, I, I don't know if they knew how much they were ahead, but they were, like, ahead of it by, like, you know, less than 100, but they were decent ahead. And then Hiley started catching up, and I'm like, oh, my God, Hiley's going to pass them. Do they know Hiley's going to pass them? But then they kicked, like, the final couple minutes and stayed ahead. I thought that was a cool feature I'd never seen before.
1: I, I really enjoyed that, but here's the issue. Robert and I were watching it live, and we were messaging each other because they would be – it. Apparently that thing was running world record pace, but it was not aligned with the Wavelight technology. So we were trying to figure out, wait, does that mean it's slightly ahead, slightly behind? Like when you have multiple things that are supposedly on world record pace and then not lined up with each other, that just creates confusion for the viewer. So I think that's the one thing is they need to do a little bit better job of synchronizing it next time. But I do agree. I loved seeing sort of the Mario Kart uh, ghost Runner, you know that as, as someone who grew up playing Mario Kart and you know you go for a world record, a course record, you could see that ghost running, you know, the sa- driving the same course as you. It was great.
0: Now, one other thing that we didn't really talk about in our or write about in our article was, I and mean, we mentioned it, but Mo Farah gets his first track world record, and he also takes Hal Gavilase's last track world record. So Hal Gavilase no longer holds any more track world records. And if y'all remember, there was some bad blood between the two. Like, Farah got in a fight at Haile's hotel, right? John, I can't even remember what happened. It was like a soap opera story. Remind, them, remind us what happened last year between Farah and Geber Selassie.
1: So yeah, Farah was training in Ethiopia ahead of the London Marathon. And he stayed at one of Hailey's hotels, and he had a bunch of stuff stolen from his hotel room. Allegedly. Well, no, he... It was. I mean, I think pretty much everyone kind of agrees. Hailey said that, you know, that was... I think the safe was broken and then there was an argument of that. I don't know. But anyway, the stuff got stolen and then he left and didn't pay his whole bill. And Highly was salty about it. He's like, well, I didn't pay my bill because I was robbed. And then he was highly basically came back and was like, okay, yeah, Mo might have had some stuff stolen, but he was also an asshole. Like he hit this person or I think he hit a runner or something like that and was sort of like not being serious and sort of joking around too much at the hotel. So there's this big feud and this was all playing out the the week of the London marathon, which was, you know, very entertaining for all, but it, you know, it, I, I got to assume that their relationship isn't great after that, given that they were trading punches in the press. So, for, you know, I, I don't know if it was extra sweet for Mo to break his world. record. I mean,
0: he's never gone for a world record before. Do you think there's any chance he thought, "Screw that! I'm going to go for this world record just to knock Hailey off." Like, I hadn't thought about this, don't I? I
1: find that unlikely. I, I love the conspiracy theorist in me. Loves that he's going to like if he shows up going for the ten mile world record on the roads, which is the last one that Hailey owns. If he tries to break that at any point in the next twelve months then I'll believe that, yes, he's systematically targeting Haileys World Records. But right now, I think he just saw something that he could go for.
2: John, I took a class on conspiracy theory in college. People love conspiracies. And when I saw the, the Gabriel Selassie thing, I was like, oh, yeah, he went after the record. But I think highly used to run in Brussels. I think that's where he set the one-hour record himself. And I think Yas Herman's actually has connections to that meet. So it seems highly unlikely with that chain of events that Mo was like, yeah, I'm getting least record in Brussels. I think they f- have put on these events in the past. and are like, hey,
0: we could have Farrar do it. It'd be good. So I, th- that's probably more what happened there. Since we're talking basically about half marathon records and whatnot, last week the first big road race of the COVID era was held. The Prague 21.1 kilometer race was held. And I don't know, I guess the big publicity was that the Women's world record, women's only world record was set by Paris Jephtcher of 6534, breaking Netson at Gudetta's 6611. Um, that got all the publicity and she credited her new Adidas shoes for that. And there was this pretty sweet picture where she wrote 6534 on her huge new shoes. And Adidas just got their new Vaporfly mimicking shoe out and it's now officially out before they had a limited release. Now you can buy them. So I think this, this Adidas was a sponsor of this meet. It was basically, all Adidas athletes going for this women's only world record. It ended up did getting a lot of publicity. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, should this really be getting the publicity in the sense of the men's race? Kibawatt Candy ran 58:38, which is super fast. It's like historically fast and a much better time overall. zone. So, which mark was more impressive to you, Candy's 58:38 or Jep-taker's 65 65:34?
1: I was more impressed by Candy, uh, but just to do that pretty much solo is is still a hell of a run, and I thought the shoe, the shoe thing's interesting because I was looking at them. These shoes, are, they're almost they're based, they have to be about as thick as the Alpha flies. Like they these thing these are some thick MFers, and they're called the Adidas Adizero Adios Pro, which I think there's one too many Adis in there somewhere, but. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. We don't have the sort of same data scientifically to say like if they're on the level, but there were some fast times. I want to talk about the athletes though. Kibbutz Candy. let's start with him, Robert. This guy, he could be the next great Kenyan roadrunner. You know, if you remember what he's done so far in 2020, he won the Kenyan cross country championships over Jeffrey Kamwarwar. Now there was some sort of, Confu- I think Cameron either fell or he made a wrong turn or something at the end. There was some confusion at the end of the race. Still kind of uncertain what exactly happened there. But then he won the RAK half earlier this year, sub-59. Now he's run 58-38, number five ever in the half marathon. And he's going to be running the world half against Chepta Guy next month. So that's going to be awesome. Hopefully Cameron in that field as well. And then Jepta she's she's a real stud and... You know, 2018 and 2017, she didn't race a ton. But here's what she's done. She's 26 years old. 2016, she won the world half in terrible conditions in Cardiff. Next year, she ran 65.06, set the world record at the RAK half. She gives birth to her daughter later that year. She basically didn't race in 2018. 2019, she comes back. She won Lisbon last fall in 66.54. And now she's run 65.34, women's only. And you know she she's way up there in terms of the best hop marathons in the world, huge talent. And I th- I thought it was interesting though what she said after the race. She basically she gave the shoes a lot of credit. She said I was exhausted for the last five kilometers, but the new shoes have helped me set a record. And you know she was uh, this was kind of a marketing event for Adidas for these shoes, but it seemed like she thinks that they played quite a role in in helping her run fast.
0: Oh. John, I can't believe you're falling for this. I'm glad that Adidas has a shoe to to match Nike or come close, but this was a huge marketing event. I mean, yeah, maybe like maybe the shoes did help her. Like maybe she realized she wasn't in PR shape, but she didn't run her PR. That's why I can't get that excited about it. Her time is like the only the 12th or 14th fastest in women's history would make her only the 12th or 14th faster. She's run faster in the past, whereas Candy ran the fifth fastest time. He's the number five performer of all time. I'm just. They both had, you know, I mean, it's not like Candy had someone of the opposite sex pacing him in this race. So, I'm more impressed by Candy. I'm glad that the women's only world record. But we talked a lot about COVID, about contrived world records. And the women's only ones are convenient ones to get because historically in a lot of these road races, you know, there weren't women's only road races. So...
1: Do you think it's more or less contrived than the Women's Owl World Record?
0: Uh, much less, much less. But no, John, I mean, both these people are studs. You're, you're very – some good stats there, you know. Um, it's fascinating to me that they both haven't run really big marathons. Like I'm seeing, for Candy, a male, a 222 marathon. Is that really him? But what what a studly 2020 he has. He's only 24 years of age. And Jeb is clearly – You know, incredible at the half marathon. When is she going to move up to the marathon? But it's fascinating. If you look at Jephti John. she's someone in the new era. I mean, in the sense of she has zero track times on her Telus profile. Zero. So she's someone who's just hit the roads, been making money for, you know, five or six years on there, but has never done really a big marathon or a big championship. I mean, she's run the world half, but are we ever going to see her at a global championship on the track or in the marathon?
1: Well, this is kind of interesting to me. If your specialist event is the half marathon, if that's the one you're best at, do we just automatically think less of you until you actually prove it on the track and the marathon? Like Those are kind of what everyone views as. Like, you either need to be in running major marathons or you need to be running what global championships on the track. And anything else, you haven't really proven it against the big boys. Can you just carve out a niche as the world's best half marathon or do you need to be running these other things as well john come on
0: that's a, hopefully a rhetorical question the answer to that one is so obvious but while we're talking about the half marathon i was looking up to see where kibble candy was in the all-time list and i'd forgotten something i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to embarrass Walton here well do you have any idea what the half marathon world record is and who owns it well just because i actually was
2: Googling and looking up the world half marathon times and I landed on the Wikipedia page and I see that it's 5801 by Jeffrey Kambor. Oh, Literally
1: I love page it when you page loaded half a second before you asked
2: me that question. I was actually trying to see what Zersenay Tadese ran because he's a guy who made a career out of running half marathons. I think you can make a decent living as an African, but you don't really get the respect until you prove it in the marathon or the 10K or cross country.
1: Well, do, do we give say respect, though, for ending Bekele's win streak at World Cross, winning perhaps the craziest World Cross ever, 2007 in Kenya? Definitely.
0: And that's a shame. That's why World Cross needs to get more
2: prominence. It's funny. I was at that race and it was the craziest ever, but I, I forgot he won it just because I just remember back away. Like I remember the crowd more than anything. It was the most unbelievable sporting event I think I'll ever go to in my life. And then I just remember the heat and Bekele just losing it. But he did prove it there. So,
1: yeah, I think that's the perfect example, though. Guy Tedesse is a guy who was unquestionably like the best half marathoner for a long stretch, perhaps even still the best half marathoner of all time. And yet, you know, he I think he medaled once or twice on the track, but was never like winning stuff there or in major marathons. And yeah, he, you don't go down. I mean, I guess he's really, really good at the half marathon, but you don't think of him as this total distance running legend.
2: And should we have a new rule? Actually, should this be sort of universal? Anytime an athlete credits the shoes, we know it's marketing because when the shoes actually work, the athletes are like, Oh no, no, I don't, I don't notice much difference. They they want to take all the credit for themselves. But if, if their sponsor's like, Hey, it's a big deal to get the word out. You got to credit the shoes. They're like "Oh, the shoes were all the difference. I mean, I hope they work. I hope they're great shoes, but...
1: Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with you. And
2: it's a great marketing event to have it And I feel they sort of did it about as understated as you could. And we've been talking about the Adidas shoes for, you know, five or ten minutes now. So, well done.
1: Well, I'm glad they had it. It was great to have an elite road race, and they got some real studs, and you had some great performances. So, I say kudos to Adidas Runcheck for putting on this meet.
2: Yeah, I was wondering, you know, because the finances of road races, a lot of them comes from the mass participation... And sponsorship, so I was wondering how it worked, but now it makes sense if Adidas, you know, paid for the athletes, that would help with the budget. And the other thing we're not mentioning here is like this course, they had tight turns, and it was like I'm gonna miss the number of loops, but like 20 loops, so this wasn't the most conducive course for running fast. So take out all those turns, you know, maybe she runs it could that could make a minute difference.
1: Well, hopefully she runs the world half as well. I don't know who else is in. I- those fields have to be coming out fairly soon. We're getting close to a month away. I wonder who's going to run it for the U.S. Um, shall we move on? We, we have sad news, guys, this week. William and Mary th- have cut the men's indoor and outdoor track and field program effective the end of the 2020-21 school year. I mean, this is, we don't even need to go back to your era for the glory days. They have a proud legacy, but even when I was in college, my freshman year, 2009, William Mary got fifth at NCAA cross. And now the the program is, you know, sort of, they haven't made NCAA since 2010 and the program's sort of fallen down the rankings, but I don't know. This is a school that produced a lot of great distance runners. It's a really nice school and it's kind of a bummer to see that, you know, it's very hard to field a competitive cross-country team without a track program to go with it, and it sort of seems like beginning of the end for William & Mary.
0: Well, I, I just don't understand. The thing that bothers me about this, I know there's Title IX BS, but, like, it just shows that the ADs don't give a shit or understand things. Like, so you're going to have a cross-country team, but no track team? So basically they realize, okay, the cross, men's cross-country team has made nationals like 25 times. We can't cut them because the alums will be upset. So they don't cut them but they cut the track team. I mean I guess you could argue that like Iona is basically a cross country team too that but they at least run official track meets, right? I mean I don't know, man. Now John, you did have a discussion with an alum who was confident that they might be able to raise 10 million dollars. Do you want to is
1: is that's that- what this alum told me. He thought they could get the program enough funds to secure the program's future for, you know, quite some time. But there is a title line aspect to this because only the men's indoor and outdoor programs were cut. The women still have cross country indoor and outdoor. So I don't know if it's just as simple as saying, Hey, we have the money for it. It's, it's more complicated than that. Unfortunately. To me, again, this
0: is like, you shouldn't count these athletes two and three times to get numbers. You should just count total number of athletes. What if they just brought back the team? And use this money to have just we're only going to have distance runners, and but they're officially on the track team, so you have official indoor and outdoor track season. Seems like they could argue in court that we shouldn't triple count these athletes. And some sort.
1: How about this theory? You use like half of that money to just start a women, another women's sport, and just say like we're just starting this program solely so the track program can still exist, and it's like. You know, one of the some women's only sport like field hockey or volleyball or something maybe that William Mary doesn't currently have. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous that that would have to happen. But I'm thinking, trying to think creatively here. Speaking
2: of Title IX and non-revenue sports, I, have you guys seen the thread in Let's Run? A Affluent white student athletes are profiting from the labor of their poor black peers.
1: I didn't read the article but i've heard this argument for a long time
2: okay links to a cnn article and the take essentially is the revenue sports are predominantly done by black athletes and they're benefiting the non-revenue sports which are primarily rich white kids it's interesting when you put the social justice angle on everything as people some people let's well, run are pointing out what well, also helps all of the women's sports as well so you know, where did he draw the line? The argument we all sort of understood at some point, right? Certain sports float the rest of the NCAA boat. But then if you want to put racial and socioeconomic things on top of it, it's just a different angle to look at.
1: I think it also depends on the school. Like, you know, at Dartmouth, the football team, I'm sure, made more money than the rest of the athletic teams. But I also doubt that the football team was paying for itself. And every every athlete – there, there are no scholarships in the Ivy League and I know for a lot of the non-revenue schools John sports- this isn't about
0: they're not talking about non-revenue schools they're talking about the Power Five come on
1: okay okay then uh-
0: yeah, I don't know I mean okay if we're going to go that angle if we're going to talk Ivy League where it's need-based financial aid are they saying that the that you know that the Poor minority students that are on Pell Grants and are on full rides and aren't paying full aren't paying seventy five thousand dollars a year are exploiting the rich kids parents that are paying seventy five thousand dollars a year or you know the rich people that donated the rich white people that donated all the money in the past are now giving free scholarships like come on like I'm not saying that this isn't somewhat of an issue but I've said this for a long time like the point of the schools is not for every program to make money like yes. The women's sports benefit from the men's sports, and the other sports benefit from basketball and football, etc. Like I don't know, like I, I, it doesn't bother me that much. I don't think people are exploited. We've said this. We, this is the Let's Run mantra: Let people go pro after high school if they want to go pro. They can go pro. If they want to go to college, they can go to college. If they have that option, that's your option. Then, they, then we can't talk about the exploitation of it. If you're good enough to go to, the-
1: but the, the the problem is if you're a Top and If you're a top football prospect coming out of high school, you don't have the option of going pro. The NFL doesn't allow you to go pro until you're three years out of high school.
0: That's what I'm saying. That should change. So the real problems with
2: the NFL and the NBA for not allowing this, they want this feeder system that they don't compensate. So you could argue that the big problems with professional basketball and professional football – because professional baseball, you can't go
0: pro out of high school. And look at that. And, and, and college baseball isn't as big because you don't have the big names there. Anyways. Well, I think we should wrap this one up. There was a few things I meant to say earlier on that I didn't say. Back in after Kaplima's 5,000, I realized that now Uganda is the second best c- country in the world at the 5,000. If you average the top two fastest runners in the country's history... Ethiopia is number one at 1238.36, but Uganda has moved into second place at 1242 flat. Kenya is third at 1243.14, so Uganda, keep up the good work. And also, we talked about Crippa's 5,000 record for Italy. Earlier in the week, he also almost broke the 28-year-old mile record. He ran 352.08, whereas the record is 351.96, so he had quite a good week. And, John, I know you hate it, but the way I would like to end is with my COVID stat of the week. We can link to it in the show notes. It's just a tweet, John. We've had almost approximately 26,000 COVID positive cases in college and in the colleges that have opened up this year. Do you know how many hospitalizations they've had? Zero. Correct. Correct. Zero, folks. I want to give a shout-out to my old employer, Cornell University. John and Weldon are both Ivy Leaguers. People like to make fun of Cornell sometimes. Some people call it a state school because the school is state-supported. I always defend Cornell. Cornell is fully open with students and in-person instructions. Princeton waved the white flag, no students at all. Cornell is open and doing a well job. So I just going to give a shout-out to them. They also had women and minorities in the 1860s, unlike these other Ivy League schools. So Cornell... You're a hundred years more progressive than the rest of the Ivy League, and you're thinking ahead of the boat now. You didn't wave the white flag, folks. If you're considering Ivy, go to Cornell.
1: Well, wait, Robert. I want to know. I need an update. Dartmouth, I hear, is moving. You know, they're getting closer to naming a successor. Have you put your name forward? Where do you stand in the application process for director of the Dartmouth Track and Field and Cross Country program?
0: I haven't heard from Dartmouth. I've heard from the from the national championship team that wants me to coach their men, and I'm I'm doing that now. I'm excited to be coaching them. It's not too late if you want to have our nine week fall training and racing program. Sign up now. let dot com slash fall. Letsrun dot com slash fall. All right. Well, I think that does it for the regular podcast. VIP subscribers, do not take your headphones out. We've got more coming for you. Bonus content here. We're going to keep going for a little bit. We've got to talk about a couple interesting stories. Some people do not like the commentating at the Ostrava meet. Some people called it sexist. What do we think of that? We're going to talk some men's shot put. We're also going to talk about this crazy story of a supposedly, allegedly a Division II runner ran away from a bear for five miles, climbed up in a tree, and, hid in the tree all night long, but the bear was not able to get her in the tree. Do we believe that story or not? All of that coming up for our VIP subscribers. If you want to subscribe and get bonus content, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Yep, you can try the first month for a dollar. And, you know, we had the Ryan
2: Krauser comments. We actually had them in the regular podcast, decided to move them only to the subscribers because we trust you guys a bit more. So keep listening, subscribers. Everyone else, until next week.